52 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, what up, golf fans? Uh, welcome back into the Preferred Lines podcast. This is a golf gambling podcast. My name is Joe Idoni at Tour Picks on Twitter. Welcome in. Uh, we had one hell of a players championship week. I'm excited to kind of sort of wrap up the Florida swing here in Valspar uh, with the Copperhead course to Innisbrook, which I always thoroughly enjoy. Like I mentioned, this is the Preferred Lines podcast. Please, do me a solid, people. Give me a like. Give me a sub. Uh, make me feel good about doing this every Monday night at 8.30 live on the interwebs. Um, welcome back in. Fantasy Golf Pod brought to you by in the top left, right-hand corner, depending on what I'm looking at versus, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, my boys, Chad, Eric, Jish, uh, do a great job. Check out their content. They have the first look show up now. The Golf Guys program will go Wednesday. Um, they are friends of mine, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this later in the show, but it's hard to make sort of friends sometimes in this space. I'm hoping to make a new one tonight, but I genuinely appreciate their support. I was texting with with my buddy Chad earlier today. He's, he's in the inner circle. We were talking stuff, um, and maybe I'll get into a little bit of that later. But thrilled to welcome you back in. Here's what we got on tap tonight. I'm going to bring in a guest shortly. We're going to wrap Players' Championship um, we're going to talk about the space in professional golf. And we're going to go over the odds board for the Valspar. Shift our attention sort of to a little bit of a course preview as well before we go through each and every section of that odds board. Q&A, if you're here, jump on over to the YouTube channel. Don't watch this on Twitter. Go to YouTube slash Preferred Lines, whatever it is. Subscribe there. Jump in the chat. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Make sure you say hello so that I know that you're here. Someone won a lovely Sawgrass poster that's behind me back there last week i already sent it out this is my version i sent him a version to wrap up the show we're going to do our final thoughts segment as always okay um let's not waste any more time i'm going to bring in a guest this week super excited to talk to him he is a betting analyst for a while over at nbc sports bet he's a co-host of the what's the spread podcast he's everywhere he's on the internet he's loud I love the I love his sort of style and his flair. I got I try to bring something to the table, but I can't match this guy. What up, Brad Thomas? What's up? What's up? What's up? Yo, man, thank you so much for having me. Listen, you described me perfectly to a T. When people see me, I want them to be like, wow, yo, I want people to stop me in the streets and be like, what's up, dude? I got to get to know you. I feel like that's my personality. So I like to bring it out in the hair and the outfit. I love that, dude. A couple Florida boys. I actually got, oh, check yeah. this out, dude. You had one of these yet? I'm cracking this open now. Tequila, oh, yeah. Tequila oh, yeah. Nooner. Uh, me and the wife just got these this weekend. Pop a beverage if you'd like to. If you're at home, cheers. Welcome to the podcast. All right, let's 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 get right into it, though, from last week. Scotty, man, just kind of oh. ran away with that thing. It was sort of a classic Scotty feel-good but yet anticlimactic Sunday in which he sort of runs away from the field. Um, but how impressed were you in his performance sort of coming down the stretch and, and frankly all week at TPC Sawgrass? Dude, you know, like <laughs> I don't try to get in the, the good vibes talk all the time, but I got to tell you this, right? So I pull in on Tuesday at uh, Sawgrass, uh, get out of the media, the media shuttle. And the first, very first person that's standing right next to me is Scotty Scheffler. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, didn't think anything of it. Then on Wednesday, I'm leaving out of the media lunch. I think it was what it was. Scotty's walking right in. And then Thursday, I was like, okay, see Scotty again. I was like, this has got to be Scotty's week, right? So I'm like, I'm getting more excited. I'm actually adding more money to Scotty throughout yeah. the week because I'm just feeling like these good vibes. But honestly, the reason why I liked Scotty to win is exactly what happened at TBC. His golf game all around is so good where he could be like a little off. Cause he wasn't, didn't putt all that great. Mm-hmm. And he's still like, even when the round where he lost like some like three strokes or two strokes, putting, he still was like four under his golf game. So good all around where it can kind of mask those inefficiencies of that one day. And he, he played like the best golfer in the world. And I think he, he's done that for uh, the ca- past couple of tournaments, you know, winning waste management and then, 
heck, he could have won uh, at API if you know a couple things might have fallen his way. He's super easy to root for. And I kind of touched on you get this sense of like purity and like a good hearted soul from Scotty. And you kind of mentioned it. And I've thought it before of like, you think when you see something that pure, there's like a fakeness element to it, right? Yeah. You're like this can't be what it seems with him. You genuinely believe it. Like the PGA tour posted content of his grandmother walking yeah. off. He went to go eat with her after they showed him after another tournament. And he's just like, he he's, he's totally comfortable with who he is and the people that he has surrounded himself with. And I try to take a little bit of lesson in that and just surrounding yourself on like solid pillars and a foundation of like whatever it is that works for you, that brings the best out of you personally. And that's different for everyone. For Scotty, it's like family, faith, hardworking, yeah um perseverance and he just has an attitude on the golf course like there were even early in the round i think when minwoo like triple bogeyed four um like the next couple holes scotty it was no foot off the gas like azing yeah. the guys were shocked that he was still pulling driver like <laughs> there is none of that in scotty of like let me coast to a victory he just doesn't play golf like he thinks something could go wrong. And if it does go wrong, he deals with it in the best possible way. But his attitude and his mindset is what is so impressive to me to watch him play golf. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like he plays for the passion of competing in a tournament, not I need to win the tournament. And I think that that shows where for him it's fun. He's pulling driver because that's what he would do whether he's up five or, or chasing down two. And a lot of that has to probably do with the way he views the game. But I want to tell one story. Yes. Um, we were talking about how great of a guy Scotty is. Like this was probably one of the most feel good moments of TPC that not, not a lot of people know. Um, so Scotty finishes his press conference and it just so happened to be during the same time that the make a wish foundation was giving a tour of the, of the media center. And he finished it and he stayed and took pictures and signed autographs with all the kids. Like when he had, when he had to go, you know, practice and prepare for this really, really big purse tournament. It was just like such a good feel good moment. Cause I mean, this is no knock on the golfers in the golf industry. They're busy people, but I could promise you not a lot of golfers would have stopped and spent that much time with those children. Yeah. And it, and it's funny that he's kind of devoid himself of like, distractions negative distractions in a way that you can see just freeze him up to like get the absolute yeah. best of stuff like doing things like spending time in the right places and putting your energy that all the energy that's around you in the in the proper alignment i think just works for him and you saw it, and i saw it actually negatively impact someone like rory who's equally is from a talent standpoint is the most talented player in the world. I don't think we can argue from pure talent. Like he's got a God given ability that we've yeah. only seen since tiger woods, but there's distractions going on in the world of Rory that are impacting and just sort of chipping away at his foundation. Like I talked about Scotty being built on these strong pillars, Rory's strong, but he's been on yeah. this throne and this voice of the PGA tour for so long. And you see these little like dealing with the media and having people constantly view him as the opponent of live. Basically it feels like at this point it's like live versus first Rory in a sense. <laughs> and does. he's kind of yeah, shouldered some of that burden. Now he's dealing with stuff with some things with the driver might not be right, but I think little distractions in his life that I think may be preventing him from getting the absolute best out of himself. Unlike Scotty, have you kind of got that sense with Rory a little bit right now? When you bring it up, I actually do, because even when we think back when, you know, Rory was lights out, he didn't really have those distractions and he was well liked. Not saying that Rory's not well liked now, but when he's, you know, always having to defend the PGA Tour, always have to even defend himself, um, he, he it kind of puts a little more pressure on him uh, to succeed and to be and say and do the right thing. So it, it makes total sense. Like I could see it like because he was just cruising and coasting everyone loved rory the only thing in, they asked him in press conferences is is he going to be better than tiger woods that's all he had to really sweat for so much of his professional life right absolutely and the, and you know we see it with some other players too like no one is in impenetrable no one is not vulnerable scotty had his sort of slump but you can just tell in the way that he dealt with it 
um, in my opinion, that his his game is is built to last in the longevity just because of the strong foundation that he has around him with um, with his family, with his wife, with his faith, with all these things that have sort of come together um, that you can tell aren't going to ever be a distraction. I would hope not um, in his life. But as we sort of shift over to the final event here in the Florida swing, it's going to be sad to see it go. We've had some yeah. exciting tournaments. We've had some difficult tournaments. We've had carnage in three consecutive events that you don't typically see on the PGA Tour. But I'm going to give a quick little course preview for you guys on what I've got from Valspar. And then if you have anything at all to add to it, Brad, we'd be happy to hear that as well. But, um, you know, another difficult test, like fifth toughest non-major annually over the last five years, the Copperhead course in Innisbrook. Um, classical tree line course. So unlike what it's very different than what we've seen in the first couple of stops in that it doesn't look like Florida. There isn't just water and palm trees everywhere. You kind of have these trees and these dog legs that are more familiar with some of the Midwest stops than what we have seen in the last couple of weeks. Also pretty substantial elevation changes in terms of like tee box to fairway and then fairway to green that we also is sort of unfamiliar and unique characteristic in terms of Florida golf, the last two years have obviously been won consecutively by Sam Burns, 17 under par. Before that, we had a back-to-back winner as well with Paul Casey in 2018 and 2019. Um, in between 2020 year, was it was canceled due to COVID. But previous champions that are in the field this week that have played well, Jordan Spieth, 2015, Gary Woodland, 2011, Adam Hadwin, 2017, Narrow fairways, fifth narrowest on tour, and actually the landing areas, the further you take it down, tend to tend to sort of bow in and get even harder to hit. Uh, 28 yards wide, like I mentioned, the fifth toughest. Uh, my guy, PGA Splits, does an awesome sort of early preview that I always check out his tweets, and he said that the rough has been grown up. Someone commented on here as well from like three to four inches this year. So um, that's a difference. And we saw that at Bay Hill. So it's definitely something worth considering because I think that what they've seen is they're familiar and used to this course playing to a certain level in terms of scoring conditions. And they've seen, you know, players start to score really well here. They want to kind of bring that down a little bit. Uh, Driving accuracy, I always place a little bit more emphasis on here around the green game. Last two years, 20% of the approach shots have come from this range of 175 to 200 yards, which is healthily above the tour average. Um, and my boy Rick Run Good, I always look at his sort of correlations with the with the course key setups, has scrambling as the highest correlated stat to success here. Five par threes, I got to mention, all over 195 yards. That's unusual. That's something you don't typically see. And then the four par fives as well, which are scorable holes. Brad, anything else that I sort of missed there that you have? Um, I know you're going to be there either tomorrow or the next day, right? So so what are you yeah. sort of expecting to see when you get to the Copperhead course? Yeah, so you said one of the most important elements of uh, of what to notice for these good these golfers out here. I played this course in a tournament, tournament style conditions. And what I noticed, you know, I was playing tees that were more forward, where the longer you're hitting the ball, the more difficult it is. But that also makes it easier for the longer hitters because there are going to be so many opportunities for them to actually club down or not even opportunities uh, instances where they kind of have to club down because if they're going to hit driver, they have a a much smaller target uh, down further. And this is just strategic of this golf course. Another thing that we're going to see that's a little like uh, Bay Hill, uh, the greens around the greens have been brought in a little bit more the rough around the greens. I think it was kind of drastic, something um, about 50 inches. Um, So that's a big change. Uh, basically what that means is if you guys paid attention to Bay Hill, like there's not much of this collar, right? So it goes from green and then goes immediately into rough around the greens. It's really difficult to pitch from there to get up and down from there. So scrambling percentage will probably be even higher. I rated it higher this year. I doubled my percentage in my model than I did last year. I think that's probably one of the most important things to note. Um, and then last but not least, like you, you really want to get guys who are going to be good with their long irons approach players. Like you're not going to see a lot of wedges in hand on these approach shots. So you did a great job covering it. Thank you. Are you a big stat model guy? Do you like to create those on Monday to sort of start your week off (laughs) research wise? Yeah, I do. I I create a lot of stats, but I will tell you this, and this is probably same to so many people in the golf industry. I will go to bed on Sunday night and all I'll be thinking about this is before looking up any stats or anything. All I'll be dreaming about is the golf course and how and which golfer fits the profile before I even look at the numbers, right? Like I didn't look at a single number and I said, 
if I were to look at this course, playing their best, which golfer, I didn't know any of the, the any of the odds either, which golfer has the best game fitted uh, suited for this course? And I, I was thinking about Justin Thomas, but we also know his struggles off the tee, um, which make it a little bit more difficult, make it harder pill to swallow them. I saw his price. I was hoping it'd be around 15. Uh, I saw his price earlier this morning. It was 10 to one. I was like, yeah, no, but uh, I love stat. I love the modeling, but I always love to dream about it and think about who would be a perfect fit just from, you know, either walking the course or watching the course on television. Yeah, totally. I, I do create a stat model, but I would say I'm more of an eyeball test better. I've got, um, I, I do keep pretty detailed notes year over year that I keep yeah. in like a, a Google doc basically that I add to. So I reference that. And like you, I, I sort of assess the field and I try to not necessarily like predict odds for every player, but I try to come up with a comfortable range that I feel like, okay, I like this guy. This is where I kind of want to bet him this week. And then I'll, I'll reference the stat model for backup on that. And another thing that I've started doing, Brad, that I think is helpful. Um, I've been looking a little bit more at like head to head matchup pricing and kind of taking that and applying it to the outright betting market. I'll give you an example. Um, Riviera, Genesis, um, Waste Management Open, John Rahm was such a heavy favorite in all matchups. Like if you go to Riv and Genesis, like he was like minus 165 against Scotty and a huge favorite against Rory. He set up so well there. And I've kind of known, you know, from doing this for so long, the bookmakers are so smart. These guys are yeah. good. Like I kind of forfeit that many instances, these guys know more than me. So I found interesting last week when the pricing came out for the players they opened up Scotty Scheffler, a minus 135 favorite over John Rahm. And it just like that in itself got me thinking like, okay, they think for some reason this week, Scheffler's a better pick than Rahm. He's a, he was a favorite over Rory. So all of a sudden something about that course, they had flipped it. It just gives you cause to think. And I think it's something that can be helpful when looking at the top of the board as you will see these guys paired together in a lot of matchups. And how can you apply that to DFS? How can you apply that to apps like Jock Market? How can you apply that to places like Prize Picks? How can you just take those basic odds and apply that to the odds market? Because if you see three guys sitting at the same price, yet one is a heavy favorite in a matchup, sometimes that's telling you all you need to know by the smartest people in the world. No, I, I love that strategy. And you know, it's kind of crazy. I think that a lot of golf betters and your strategy, uh, for an example, we watch so much golf where we don't need to look back at this guy's past uh, 12 rounds to know that he's losing strokes on the putting surface. We don't need those numbers because we're literally watching it. We can tell he's stinking at putting. Um, but I, I think I'm going to look a little bit at that strategy um, because, right, we talk about Matt Fitzpatrick uh, two tournaments ago. I, I faded him, but I faded him against Jordan Spieth, and I didn't put any other action on Jordan Spieth. I was happy with my plus 100 head-to-head, but had I applied that into the derivative market looking at placement bets, I probably could have scrounged up a little money on his top 20 price because I'd imagine it'd probably have to be like plus 110. Yeah, yeah, you can always you can always find that in the top twenties. You've done a great job of that in, in some of your work as as well. Um, let's kind of kick it over to to the betting board this week. See what we got. All right, here we go. Justin Thomas, your favorite for the Valspar Championship at eleven to one. Jordan Spieth is twelve to one. Right in after him, Sam Burns sixteen to one. Matt Fitzpatrick eighteen to one. Uh, and then we get up to Keegan and Tommy Fleetwood at 25 to 1. Worth noting, Oz Checker here has DraftKings with most of the best pricing on the board right now. Sometimes Tuesdays, I've noticed that many of these books will, will bump numbers a couple of points. So if you want to wait, but anything you see here, Brad, from the top of the board that you were liking this week? Yeah, for me, it's Jordan Spieth. Um, I was lucky enough okay. to get him at 14, right? There's this weird thing that's happening with Jordan Spieth's game. What have we noticed about his game that we know is a classic Jordan Spieth move? Great tee to green. And then about, I'd say July of last year, he went on this like really bad putting streak. And then, so for the rest of the season, he started putting pretty poorly. The, 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 the fall swing, he started putting pretty poorly. Then we see him kind of put things together at API, gain strokes on the putting service, gain strokes at the players. And, and you know what people are saying, right? Like, who are these people, the, the 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 pundits on TV? They're like, man, if Jordan Spieth can just put it all together for one week, I think this provides him a better opportunity at 
than both of those courses to put it together on the putting green off the tee. Why say off the tee? Because we talked about it a lot more opportunities for him to club down. He's still a little wayward with his three iron, but he can still club I mean, three wood. He can still club down. Um, and the greens are going to be a little bit softer than at uh, Arnold Palmer and at the players. So he'll be able to be a little bit more aggressive. He won't have to worry about these, these baked out greens bouncing his ball. You can't put as much spin on it. I think his price was pretty fair. And what's pretty remarkable looking at these numbers, right? You think about Justin Thomas at 10 to one, 11 to one, he is struggling. He's kind of lost his driver. You can't bet on a guy who can't score off the tee and is not a good putter. Fitzpatrick dealing with uh, some, some neck injuries. So it's kind of gets a little worrisome. And then we have Sam Burns who played a little bit better last week, but still it looks like he's fighting a little demons mentally. So when I was like, who in this favorite range do I want to trust more out of any of those guys? It's got to be Jordan Spieth. And then I'm like thinking about Jordan Spieth all day and a little clock in my head goes, didn't Jordan win this event? Like, oh my God, he's a past winner. Like now it makes sense. Like I, I was kind of like battling myself if I wanted to bet him at 25. Like, I, if, if I would have bet him at 25 or preferred yeah. to bet him at 25. But then I was like, no, I don't care. I think 14 is a good enough price. And I, I got lucky. I placed that 14 bet and probably 30 minutes later, he went down to 12 and I was like, thank you. Yeah, it was a good bet. He's my, I haven't made the bet yet, but he's my favorite on the odds board up here. I noticed. So I think it was back at Riv when he was coming off Phoenix, when he had the absolute best week with his irons that he's had in his entire career. Um, I went back and kind of did a deep dive on speed and noticed that a lot of his wins and his best success, people want to think that when he was playing his best, he was just gaining a million strokes putting and he was a great putter then. But the majority of that success was predicated upon a great solid foundation in weeks leading up to it with his irons. That's where he draws his confidence from, I think, to a degree. And the putter confidence is still shaky, like even when he's walking afterwards, like they're not going to go in. Sometimes they (laughs) do. But I think when he's able to routinely stick his irons, that's where he draws a lot of his internal confidence from to know that that can sort of free him up for some mistakes and an occasional six foot miss on the green an occasional wayward drive. If he knows that he's one of the best approach players in the field, and he's really got that working right now. I wanted to ask you though, a little bit about Justin Thomas. So Man, I was so high on Justin Thomas coming into this year. I, I do feel like you mentioned he's not a good T to green right now, but he should be like he, he has that skill set. It's just not coming to fruition right now. And I wondered and I and I think I tweeted this last week and it seems like I'm noticing more and more guys. And I remember Homa talked about this, I think, during like the third round of Genesis when he was like, you know, I, I spent so much time growing up trying to be like Tiger Woods and hit every shot. And if he was like Tiger had this thing where like there was like a tic-tac-toe board, basically, where he would try to hit shots out of every window, so to speak. So imagine like a a panel of glass in this tic-tac-toe board or like a window frame. He would try to hit this low shot that's turning over and this low shot that's turning over the other way and try to hit all these different shots in these shapes that he would play and these trajectories. And he was so good at it that I think a lot of people sort of fell in love with that and tried to apply that to their game. Max at some point scrapped it and realized I'm not Tiger Woods. I'm going to hit this one shot every time. And you see that out of so many of the top players right now. And JT still has kind of this old school. I think he, we, we know how much he looks up to Tiger, but I think it gets him into trouble at times of trying to pull off so many different shots. And I can imagine just as myself as a player, right? Like, I can hit a low hook, but can I hit a low hook and then follow it up with a high cut and then (laughs) a straight stinger? And then like you're going, you haven't hit the low hook in four or five holes and you're going to all of a sudden pull that club and hit that in that instance. He can do it, but it makes it harder. I feel like in so many circumstances to be consistent and repeatable that I think it's become a hindrance a little bit to his game and his, his sort of, um, exasperated some of the inconsistencies that we've seen. Yeah, you know, uh, JT, uh, if you remember back a while, uh, you know, kind of when he was first starting out, he talked about how Tiger Woods, he asked for advice, and Tiger Woods was basically telling him you can only hit one kind of shot. Like, you need to add more to your game, and I think that's kind of stuck with him. Mm-hmm. Um, about him, we know he how talented he is, 
uh, as an iron player. Like he can hit every shot in the bag. I think it's the confidence of actually delivering those shots, right? Like it takes a lot of guts to, to, to hit all these different kinds of shots on command when everyone, especially when the tournament's online, when I bet on him at, at PGA, a lot of people were talking about Jordan, uh, excuse me, Justin Thomas had lost his confidence in his game. He knew that he could compete, but he didn't know if he could ever win again. And much like you, I was so excited for him this season, right? I think I've already bet him twice this season. I was excited because he got the PGA championship win. He had like six top tens, like yeah. maybe more. It was just such great consistency. You knew what was going to come out of his game. Now, when he tees up, especially since he's lost a little bit of that driver and he has absolute zero, zero confidence on the green. Yeah. You don't know if it's going to be a T20 or a top 10. Like, and for a guy of his caliber, that is a big window from a betting perspective where you have to be like, look, I mean, what is 60th at the players, uh, T21 at, at API, fourth at Phoenix Open? Like, this is a big range yeah. for a guy who last season was consistent 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 so i think for me to bet on him i I just couldn't imagine taking him 11 to 1 but i mean if you take everyone's perfect game he is the guy who wins this tournament but he's not playing perfect he's not playing confident i would probably be more excited to fade him uh, in some matchups than actually bet on him to to win the tournament i like that as well yeah something's just not right you're right he's the best player here um, but he's there's other guys around him who are currently playing much better. Like things went right for him, dude. And he still couldn't like pull anything together last week. Like if you're going to tell me that he like holes out for Eagle on 18 <laughs> and that other sort of chip in that he had from an absolutely dead lie, like and anybody else in the field is making double or bogey there. Um, and, he, and he essentially just birdies it like he, he pulled off some incredible lucky but also great shots that you're you're thinking like okay if jt's gonna win these are the things that you expect to happen and for those to actually come true and him still like basically finish even par was was pretty disappointed now that in this next range dude we got a lot of guys who just don't really win but they're <laughs> playing really good i mean fleetwood is right here um at sort of 25 to 1 justin rose who who has won recently is there adam hadwin denny davis riley even brian Harmon. as you go a little bit further down the board you mentioned that you like speed this week do you have any room on the card to add someone sort of in this mid-range that you like yeah i'll probably be on i'm already on uh tommy fleetwood but it's a very small bet, right? It's hard for me to bet on guys who don't win. But yeah. one guy that I'm going to write up is Justin Rose. Like we're looking at Rosie's game. He already has a win on the season. He's playing really good golf. And I think this is a golf course where he could quietly go out there and put together some really good rounds. Um, but let me touch on Fleetwood for one second. Yes. Why I think it's kind of important that we talk about him, even though he doesn't have a tour win. I think that Fleetwood's game fits really well because this is going to be a tough course where par is going to be your friend looking at courses in his course history where he's excelled a lot, like the open uh, the PGA championship. Those are tough courses where par is your friend, where it requires some, you know, longer irons that you're going to have to hit. I think that Fleetwood out here is going to be very fun to watch um, it, when it gets a little windy because it will uh, on Friday and Saturday, it's going to be 21 mile per hour wind. And this is a tough course, even though there's trees blocking some of that wind, that wind's still going to get through. He plays really, really great in the wind. So I, I don't have a lot of confidence betting on him. Uh, so I only put a little bet, but I still think he's someone that I had to look at. So probably him and Justin Rose. Absolutely. I'm in. I, I Fleetwood's my first guy on the board for me this week. Um, third in strokes gained approach, fourth and around the green. Um Around the green is going to be, I think, even more important this week because you mentioned the the wind that we're expecting and sort of the weather. Yeah. It's early in the week, and we, of all people in Florida, know how things can change quickly, Brad. But anytime that it's windy, you hit less greens. Greens and regulation percentage goes down the more shots that you end up hitting from around the green. Um, and he's been extremely proficient. Like I mentioned, fourth in the field. He's got good history here. He just plays good Florida golf. Like I, I've seen him so many years at the Honda play really well and get into contention. He's done it at Bay Hill. He's done it at Sawgrass. He's done it here. Um, we're still looking for Tommy to sort of break through. So it does feel like 
like, wow, I'm, I'm betting Fleetwood at like 25 to one to win a tournament. And he's never done that. It feels like a minus EV bet if there ever yeah. was one. But it just given the field, um, given how his form is, it just feels like a good spot and a good rooting spot for him to sort of break through. Um, and, and Ted mentioned that I did have Rosie earlier this year. I did. I actually prefer Tommy this week. Um, Rose came off a really good Sunday finish. He's been really strong, but some of the scrambling numbers from him have not been great. And even he's just having to scramble a lot more than yeah. Tommy. So Tommy's iron play has been better. The around the green game has been better as well. So um, I just have a little bit more trust in him in terms of what I think this course requires this week to answer you, Ted. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you there. Uh, from a modeling standpoint, I have Fleetwood fourth on my model where Rose is 17th. Um, Rose is more of a, you know, just a course fit course. Who you got number one, Spieth? No, uh, Spieth actually is not going to project on my model the way I built it out because it's going to be, I went heavy uh, around the green and heavy off the tee. So Spieth probably, I'd imagine Spieth would probably be what 40th. Yeah. Um, And I think I talked about, he's not going to be a guy who jumps off. It's actually Ben Griffin. uh, I think, Mm. but Ben Ben Griffin makes total sense uh, why he's number one. Like let's talk about him. He's down. Yeah, yeah. What, are, what are his odds? 50 to one. Yeah. He's right up next on one. the board. Dude is a T to green monster. Um, he does everything in his game very well. I wouldn't say he does anything amazing, right? He's, he's great T to green. He's solid off the T. Uh, he's really good on long par threes. Why? Because what happens on a lot of long par threes, I think golfers overcomplicate it, right? Hit the green. If you make a putt, you make a putt. Stop trying to tax when a, when a green is when a part three is 235 yards. There's a very few golfers who can consistently hit every shot they need to attack these pins that the tour puts out. Ben Griffin, he puts the ball on the green and he puts and he puts well enough to be dangerous. And more importantly, he's very good at scrambling. And I yes. think a lot of that has to do with the adversity he faced in trying to become a PGA tour professional. Yep. What is scrambling, right? Like it's a mindset. It's a mindset of, you know, you got to get this ball up and down, you know, like you got to be strong mentally. And, and when you face a lot of adversity in your career or in your life, you, those small adversities on the golf course that happen so often, you kind of overcome them, overcome those a lot. So yeah, that's the reason he's number one on my model. I did bet him at 50 to one. Um, I, I have a thing where if you're, if you're not the, the number one guy on the odds board, I'm going to bet you if you're number one on my model. So like, I probably won't bet a guy if they're going to be nine to one just because they're number one on my model every time, but 50 to one, you're number one on my model. And I did this over the last 36 rounds. If you guys want to know last 24 rounds was Justin. Suh. I haven't got to the window there yet. I just don't think that his price, I think it's 33 around there right now. I don't think that's a price I, I'm interested in. I, I think that I would probably be more interested in him around 45 to 50. Yeah. I love what you said there uh, on the mentality of scrambling and how he's sort of, prepared for adversity i actually really enjoyed what he had to say in terms of when they sort of gave him the mic'd up segment right which i was surprised that they gave to him um <laughs> to be quite frank at the players they could have had their pick but it was nice to hear sort of a refreshing sense from him talk about how just like into it he is right now like there's something to be said about um just being sort of fresh into the pga tour and like everything is such a moment for him and he's just living in it and making the absolute best out of it and i think you can sort of veteran guys can sort of get bogged down with some negativity in terms of bad performances but i feel like he's so grateful right now to just be out there um that it's really allowing him to sort of capitalize and and play his absolute best like he he was in the sort of the final group. He didn't play great, but he rebounded on Sunday. He made a ton of money. He's getting more and more popular. He's getting more and more recognition. And the kid is close and the kid is talented. And it's just, it's, it's sort of refreshing. Like I remember Brad, when I, when I, uh, when I played high school basketball, right. You, you make a free throw in, in certain instances, like when you're sort of a fresh face in there and, and something goes in, it can be any sport, right. Yeah. And there's a sense of positivity around you. But the more times that you get up there and you realize how often you miss, um, it starts to trickle into your brain and how you think and like how many bad shots have I hit from this sort of lie. And remember when I did that three years ago and made triple <laughs> and all of these things start to can negatively impact what's about to happen. 
And I think that that mindset that you touched on in terms of scrambling, in terms of being fresh and to be like, look, I'm not on Wall Street right now crunching numbers. I'm out here playing a PGA Tour event. I just hit a poor shot. Let's fuck it. Let's see if I can get this up and down. And he's been doing it as well as anybody. Yeah, no, I love that. And another thing that kind of reminded me too is like some of these, you know, rookies and younger guys on tour, when they get in these close spots, they get so in their head because they feel like they have to win. They have to perform. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of have that freedom of, man, I'm literally living every golfer's dream makes it a little bit easier to go out there. And when you mess up, it's not as bad. Yeah. Living the, I know a lot of people are on Gary Woodland this week. Do you like Gary at all? I mean, previous oh, my champion, man, he's, my he's man, Gary, he's turned it around. I just don't, I just don't know if Gary, and he might even say this, uh, that he can play four really good rounds. Um, he's gotten, man, I think he went through this like career patch of playing some really bad golf could be injury related, but yeah. now I think he's, he's getting there. I'd probably play him in the derivative market. I just can't bet him. I don't think that he's going to be able to put four rounds together. Maybe if he maybe if he goes out there and puts out one really amazing round and he just has to hold on, I think that would be his his pathway to victory. Um one guy we didn't talk about that I actually was my second bet on the board was was Brian Harmon. Um he's struggled. But there was a point during the fall when the dude was on absolute fire. He's second at the yeah. RSM, second at the um, Worldwide Technology, top 15 at the Shriners, 16th of the century. Like, was just rolling off top 20 finishes fairly easy. And things got squirrely with some of his swing setup. It was nice to see him sort of come back last week and gain four and a half strokes uh, off the tee, something that he hasn't done since... RBC Heritage, April of last year. So it was his best off the tee week. He's had great performances at the Valspar here before. Now, the approach numbers last week, he lost two and a half on approach, but that can be very skewed at Sawgrass. Yeah. Like it basically be one shot on 17 or one, or, <laughs> or one in the water here or there. It was nice to see him bounce back with the putter, but I think the importance that I placed this week on, on hitting fairways, uh, they're not very wide. The rough is up. I think in order to come into the elevated green complexes that are also on the smaller side, you're going to have to come in from the fairways. If we get these sort of wet conditions, like we're expecting some thunderstorms and rain here in Florida this week, you could get preferred lies as well, where he can sort of lift clean and place his ball back down, which is always a huge advantage for those guys who hit the fairways more often. I just think it's a good number on him, man. It's it's more of just a price point thing for me, and I don't have a whole lot of data to back it up other than a reasonably solid performance last week. And I think that he holds a good bit of win equity here at 35 in a, in a weaker field event. Yeah, I don't have – like if anybody wants to play Brian Harmon, I couldn't talk you off it, right? Accurate guy. You know his ball's going to be in the fairway. For me, I just don't know if I trust him to win. And – it's kind of, I think it could be a little of Harmon fatigue, right? Mm -hmm. Betting on Harmon um, and him not winning, right? And when he's set up in good situations and as a better, I, I sometimes kind of want to be like, I want to put my money on someone else. Maybe give me a young face, a uh, young face, like a Griffin or a so like maybe one of you guys will break through. Um, but Harmon, like I have no, nothing negative to say. I Maybe if I want to nitpick, I talk about him losing like strokes in five straight, uh, yeah. rounds on approach, but just like you said, that number's a little skewed at both TPC and Bay Hill um, because you could lose strokes really fast on approach um, at either of those courses. Uh, so I, I, you're not going to hear any complaints from me if you want to bet him. Uh, he, he generally does okay in Florida too, which is a little bit uh, of a nod. Yeah. I, I don't know what what is what's going through it mentally, but I mean, if you make the cut at the players after missing the cut in back-to-back events, People don't understand how hard it is to make the cut at TBC. Like that's pretty big deal. Like that's something you could build on. Yep. William is saying uh, Wyndham Clark. Yeah. Like I, I get the love for Wyndham Clark and this is when I kind of ignore the stats and I look at him next to Brian Harmon and I even look at Justin saw there and I'm like, who can win this tournament? And to me, Harmon has a lot more win equity than those couple guys even yeah. though the stats would tell me tell me otherwise. But he's been playing great. Um, I just think in terms of an outright market, like when you need a guy to actually win, 
Um, it's a little bit different than, you know, playing someone to top 10, top 20, maybe in a matchup, maybe for DraftKings purposes. Um, I think just seeking out that win equity and what it comes down to ultimately, Brad, for me is like, does the dude, can the dude have good enough short game to win? Because what do we see every week? If you want to be the outright winner in a freaking PGA tour event, you better get shit up and down that nobody yeah. else does. Scotty did it like Rom did it. There's so many instances like on Sundays, you're going to miss greens. And can you get that up and down enough times? And are you a good enough putter? That's where I struggle with like Wyndham Clark. And that's where I kind of put more trust on someone like Brian Harmon, who I've seen hit big putts before. Yeah, no. Uh Wyndham Clark is probably like Wyndham Clark's gonna project high in a lot of models. Yeah. He's 35 to one, but you touch on his putting. This man can't drain a putt. Uh, and more importantly, a 10 foot putt, which you're going to have to make those 10 and 20 foot putts. If you want to win golf tournaments, that's a reason why he's not a winner on tour because it, clutch putting is really important. I wouldn't trust Wyndham Clark with a $5 bill and that's no knock on him. It's just at, when it comes down to it, you're probably more likely to be sweating a Wyndham Clark top 40 bet than you are a Wyndham Clark out where I win. <laughs> What about long shots, dude? You got it. I'll just kind of open it up like anyone 60 to one and beyond. Like you got one or two guys you want to shout out? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to probably be on Eric Cole for a little bit. Um, okay. I think he's uh, what, 100? Did his odds yep. move down? Like uh, around 100 to one. Eric Cole, Florida guy. I believe he's from Miami, which is a little bit further away. Uh, he's played really good golf. Uh, everyone remembers his runner up. I was on him during then as well. I think that his game sets up really well here. Uh, he could do a little bit better off the tee. But I don't think that'll be too big of a problem, you know, being used to playing uh, in these courses uh, when you're a Florida guy, especially like the Miami, Tampa and Orlando realm. When you're in this industry, parents are both uh, professionals. You play these courses a lot. So have a lot of familiarity there. Um, and I have. Let's see. In the Yeah, that's about who I have as my long shot so far. I might put a little bit like. I don't know. Maybe oh, I, I it's struggling to say this because I, I will tell you the truth. <laughs> I did my modeling. I did my course breakdown and I'm my article will be out tomorrow for on NBC sports edge for anybody who wants to watch, read it or maybe tonight. If you're lucky, I wrote my article and I had Joseph Bramlett, a whole write up of me betting on Joseph Bramlett, a whole write up, like literally at least six or seven sent sentences. And when I went back and I read it, it didn't sound like I was convinced that I was betting on him. It felt like I was trying to convince myself yeah. that I was betting on him. So I never even pressed the bet, but I'll probably, I mean, at his price, like, dude, like putting 10 bucks on that, like that's some, some substantial win. And I'm not going to miss the $10. Like he should be a much better golfer than the results that he's had. And I think a lot of that has to do with the mental aspect, but he can hit every shot on the golf course. He projects high on models. He's great tee to green. Great, great scrambler. So he's probably someone I will end up being on, but I'm not going to sit there and I'm not going to write an article and tell you this is why he can win because I don't think that there's enough there for me to be like have super strong conviction of why yeah. I'm betting on Joseph Bramlett. That makes sense to me. Um, my guy, so I actually took Aaron Rye this morning at 80 to I 1. Like. I'll get that bet back because he's withdrawn from the field. Wait, he did? Yeah, so he's out. He withdrew this afternoon. So um, that one I will get back. I took Will Gordon at 80 to 1 as well. Um, I just am a believer in the upside of this player. I think that he's going to nab one of these weaker field events. I think the Southeast is the most likely place that that happens for Will Gordon. Um, I I think that his talent level is honestly not that far off from like a Davis Riley. Like I think that Riley is a little bit better, but they're comparable players. So if I can get Gordon at double the price, um, I kind of like that bet. And I'm going to play close attention to my guy, Ludwig Aberg. So Ludwig, <laughs> I had top 40. I think he was plus 450 at Bay Hill. Dude crushed it. He was in like eighth for most of the tournament. Amateur, he won three consecutive times at Texas A&M. 
gets thrown into an elevated field PGA tour <laughs> event. Like it ain't like these guys who just get thrown into like Corrales, right? It's like yeah. a sponsor's invite and he's all of a sudden in Corrales. He got thrown into an elevated Bay Hill in top 16 there as an amateur. Um, I'm sorry. I think he finished 24th maybe. But anyways, I, I tweeted out earlier. He gave up like $138,000 paycheck to keep his amateur status. So he's back in the field this week. Uh, just excited. I'm not going to bet him 101 to win. He's not going to win, um, but could make a nice top 40. But could be something that I maybe look for uh, in sort of a head-to-head matchup just because I want to follow him and, and I kind of want to sweat this guy's young career and watch him come up. <laughs> no, that's a pretty nice one. I, I uh, was watching him on the range uh, when we did live from. And, oh, did you? Know, yeah. Dude's pretty good golfer. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember who it was that was saying uh, we should watch his game. It's eluding me. Maybe it was Michael Collins. Maybe I, it was Michael Collins. One of those guys it was like Michael Collins or someone from Sirius. So I was like, yeah, let me watch his game up close and up personal. Pretty good golfer. Um, man, his pricing is going to be good for a while. I think until he starts to get a little bit more known, uh, maybe drop that amateur status and people are going to be like, okay, we're making a little money on this guy. Ludwig season. He's coming, baby. <laughs> yeah. um, Brad, it was like, Awesome to talk to you, dude. I thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you do a ton of tremendous comment content, excuse me, over at NBC. Like you mentioned, the written piece will be out here shortly. Um, go follow this dude, Mr. Brad Thomas. He is exciting. He is um, everything that sort of I love about about golf Twitter. He's 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 one of the good ones. So I appreciate the hell out of you for coming on the show tonight, and wish you the best of luck this week and with everything you got going on in the future. Thank you, man. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great one. See ya. All right. So good to talk to that dude. Uh, I've been wanting to for for quite a while, and I appreciate him for for stepping by and coming on. I'm going to get now into sort of the final thoughts segment. Um, God, let me pause for a second. I. Uh, so I was watching the players. Uniquely this weekend, I, I kind of had my wife took our kids to her aunt and uncle. So I kind of got to watch golf by myself for a while. And I would like took some notes down and all this stuff that I noticed with Scotty that I was going to bring to this final thought segment that I was excited to talk about. And some shit kind of threw me off today. And I'm like, maybe I should pivot. Maybe I shouldn't do it. But I'm going to talk about it. We'll see how much leaks out of this. Um, I mentioned it earlier, the structure. I'm so impressed with how he's been able to, to form a solid structure and it's created and given him stability. And stability in your life is what establishes routine, right? We have structure and stability around every aspect of our day, of our week, of our lives. Things that are just ingrained in us now, like the week, like it's Monday. It's Monday is is part of a structure that was put in place by someone who people probably thought was crazy at some point for creating seven days in a week, for creating a nine to five work day. Um, but this structure has sort of slowly been adapted over time to now it's it's sort of unrealized and it's created routine. And it's been so routine and so strong and established that we don't have to really think about it anymore. Um, that's kind of what I see going on with Scotty right now. He's got the pillars, like I mentioned, of faith and family and belief in himself. And everyone around him is creating these sort of support brackets, right, that are keeping that foundation strong. And I love to see that between his family, between his wife, between everything else, between Teddy, um, his golf swing, everything else is just holding this man up. And he is the embodiment and screaming right now, clean living, right? Like you make your own breaks. Um, everything that he does is somewhat unconventional. I don't think you would ever teach what he does. Like he doesn't swing it like Tiger or Rory. He doesn't play with this chip on his shoulder and the aggressive and the competitiveness that we outwardly see with like a Brooks or a John Rahm. But he's not going to fold in any circumstance. It's, it's hard to top. And to think, like I mentioned with Rory, things sort of chipping away at his structure. Tiger's a great example. Um, he had this foundation that I'm going to outwork everybody and nobody's going to stop me. And nobody did until things started to chip away at that structure of his life. And outside influences came in and nearly crumbled the man. 
multiple times. And he's been able to build himself back up, which is respectable. But anyone can be crumbled. Anyone can be humbled by life. And what Scotty's doing right now, uh, I'm sure there's temptation. I'm sure there's people trying to knock him. And his ability to stand strong because he's got this foundation in place is, I think, extremely important to him. And I hope that you can sort of take something from this. And, you know, I I struggle because things have started to get to me a little bit on Twitter. There's been some negativity and some comments made on maybe maybe I'm just tweeting too much over the weekend. And I see these things and I want to stand here and look in this camera and be like, that shit doesn't bother me. I'm so confident. I know what I'm doing is right. And I don't care what anyone thinks about it if they think wrong. But if I'm being totally honest, I'm not that confident in it. So this stuff sort of eats at me. When people poke fun, um, it bothers me to the sense where I feel like it's chipping away at some of my foundation. And I wonder, like, is this worth it for me? Um, is all the stress, is all the negativity, is all this stuff creeping in starting to affect these other aspects that I'm I'm truly built on, which is my family, which is taking my wife on date nights, which is I spend every night like I in most don't most some know the few full extent of this, but um, I'll sit there in, my, in bed with my son every single night of his life that I'm home until he falls asleep. I don't put him in there and stick a camera in there. And if you do, I'm not I'm not trying to knock anyone. I'm just saying I care so much about what I'm passionate about. And this is one of those things. So when I feel like things are sort of taking shots at, at the structure that I've built, um, I take it very personally and I lean on the support system of people like Chad. Um, to try and sort of get me through stuff like this, but um, it becomes it becomes strenuous at times, and and I don't want it to be. So I think w- what I'm biggest thing that I'm going to take away from it is to sort of continue to try to live more like Scotty and be unfazed by these occurrences that happen, and just and just deal with them the best way that I can. If I'm short sighted to a green that I have no shot of getting it up and down, um, why not just chip it in? And do you really think that he's chipped in 10 and 11 times now on the season? Do you really think that he's five X a better chipper around the greens than other people? No, it's mentality. It's how he assesses that situation. We are not computers we are people are not chad gpt or whatever you want to call it we don't give out 500 gigahertz every single time that we speak every single thing that is exuded from our brains is different um it's it's not computerized it's not generated it's not autonomized to create the exact same output our brains matter and how we you know assess these situations ultimately affects the circumstances like the way that Scotty is able to do that allows the results and frees him up to have these results and I really believe that and if you don't believe that that's totally fine but I think that it has something to do with his success I think that it has something to do with him getting to world number one and I think that it has something to do with um, his staying power Uh, I hope that you all have a great week. I appreciate you staying with me. Now, let me say this. I know this end of the show is unusual. It's atypical. It's not for everybody. Um, If you don't like it, tune out. Like This is helpful to me. I mentioned it multiple times. I think that there are a few people that get something from this. So I hope that I'm able to reach them. And I want to create a show that is authentically me and this is part of me so um i don't want to be a profile picture or a nameless twitter account um that goes on there and takes shots at other people i i hope that you all can get something from this and i hope you have a great week good luck at the valspar cash another winner in florida best of luck guys i'm out of here peace